Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch today. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you. Your stool is ready. However, if you live in Virginia, please hit pause and go vote. It's going to be a pretty tight election today, all indications would suggest. But the latest polls suggest that uh, Glenn Youngkin might be inching ahead. He certainly appears to have the momentum, not only statistically, but just by the eye test. But it all depends on actually who shows up to vote. So, Jim, I voted a couple of weeks ago. What was your plan this year? I went there earlier this morning, (laughs) found that uh, apparently earlier in the morning, the turnout had been brisk. Now, I live in Fairfax County. This is generally Democratic territory. Although uh, I believe Bob McDonald narrowly won the county back in 2009, and I would be very surprised if Glenn Youngkin did not do better than the average Republican over the last four or five years. There's just no getting around it. Donald Trump was a drag in the northern Virginia suburbs, and Glenn Youngkin seems to be walking that tightrope much better. Um, There was not much of a line when I got there, which was probably a little bit after nine, after I'd sent off the morning jolt. So it was not, you know, a time. Most people have gone to work by then. Not really the huge rush hour, not, no, no real line there. So um, I don't see anything terribly conclusive one way or the other from that. Um, I don't think you can say the Democratic turnout is going to be terrible. Uh, I guess the question is, will it be good enough? And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, when it comes to Fairfax County, these are all people who are not all people, you know, many people who work for the government, many people who are very active in politics, many people who are. I'd say if you ask, you know, if you walk through my neighbors, say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a lawyer for a trade association. It's pretty much the standard answer you're going to find there. So <laughs> um, this should be Terry McAuliffe's, you know, low hanging fruit. And you'd expect him to be wanting to run up, running up the margin here in Fairfax County. One other thing worth noting here is that usually Fairfax County is the uh, county that reports last. And a lot of people might say, oh, this is something sinister. Well, actually, we have a million people in this county. It's the biggest one. And that's why it takes the longest. But they're allowing, they changed the state law. You're allowed to count early votes now. And obviously, since the pandemic, a lot more folks have gotten into the habit of voting early. So I wouldn't be surprised. You actually, Fairfax County's results are going to come in fairly fast tonight, or at least the early votes will go in. Um, I still think that's going to be heavily Democratic, but uh, you may see as the night goes on, uh, the numbers slowly getting better and better for Glenn County, for Glenn Youngkin, both here and I suspect statewide. Interesting twist. Yeah, interesting twist. Uh, I mean, I went on a Thursday afternoon, so uh, it's hard to tell from that turnout two weeks ago. Uh, anything that matters, I will point out that only a Democrat was there handing out a sample ballot. There was no Republican there, although the Republicans had a tent. My wife did vote this morning, says so she walked in and walked out. And let me tell you, uh, when it was Ralph Northam against uh, Ed Gillespie in our neighborhood, there was a pretty brisk turnout four years ago. So it anecdotal, perhaps, at best, but uh, just just interesting to note. We will talk more about the uh, Virginia governor's race in our bad martini today, but uh, let's start with our good martini. And we always have to couch the Joe Manchin good martinis as, uh, this could expire at any time. Uh, he could flip, he could uh, agree, but uh, yesterday was perhaps, at least in public, he's had some pretty strongly worded op-eds, but these are his strongest words publicly, and especially at a time when not only uh, is Biden out there trying to project unity on the world stage while he's dealing with the whole climate thing over in Scotland, but it looked like Democratic leaders were kind of on the verge of going ahead and maybe passing the infrastructure bill and the uh, so, so-called Build Back Better bills in the House, assuming the Senate would actually 
pass the uh, the reconciliation bill. Joe Manchin taking a giant bucket of ice water to the Capitol Press Gallery yesterday and explaining why he is not ready to vote for the reconciliation package at all. Throughout the last three months, I've been straightforward about my con- concerns that I will not support a reconciliation package that expands social programs and irresponsibly adds to our $29 trillion in national debt that no one seems to really care about or even talk about. Nor will I support a package that risks hurting American families suffering from historic inflation. Simply put, I will not support a bill that is this consequential without thoroughly understanding the impact that it will have on our national debt, our economy, and most importantly, all of our American people. Every elected representative needs to know what they are voting for and the impact it has, not only on their constituents, but the entire country. Called it shell games and budget gimmicks in in the pay force. He doesn't believe that uh, its a net effect on the deficit or the debt is zero, which we could have told him already. Jimmy seems just so close to no, he should just say no and we could all move on. But of course, that's too easy and we can't have that. But uh, at a time when uh, Nancy Pelosi is flailing to uh, meet and I guess miss yet another arbitrary deadline uh, to have Manchin coming in here and uh, blowing it up once again, even if it's only for a few days. Uh, fun to see. Greg, one of the first things that comes to mind is if you can keep blowing through deadline after deadline and there are no consequences, are any of them really deadlines? It's like, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like goals. I, I mean to clean out the gutters. You know, I, I keep intending to do it. I never get around to doing it. That's kind of, you know. Um, so the, the probably what's most interesting about this is that, you know, Manchin announced this press conference yesterday afternoon. He had a couple hours warning and a bunch of my colleagues were like, ah, oh, here it comes. Here comes the cave. He's going to sell out. He's going to say the numbers are reasonable. He's going to feel like he's dragged this out long enough and he's going to give the Democrats what they want so they can pass the bill, have good news right before Election Day in Virginia and, uh, you know, save the Biden presidency and change the momentum and all that kind of stuff. And the surprise was, no, no, it was not. And in fact, he's saying, you know, he seems as dug in as ever. He says he's not for any expansion of the trust fund that is insolvent, which basically would blow up the proposals for Medicare expansions. He says he never signed off on the framework. What's really intriguing is that the comments Biden gave before he left for Europe made it sound like this was either a done deal or very, very close to a done deal, and they just needed um, a little bit of I-dotting and T-crossing and a little bit of you know minor details to be worked out. This does, you know, The statement from Manchin yesterday does not sound like it was uh, anywhere near being close, and that Manchin is basically fed up with the Build Back Better you know, negotiations going on. He wants bipartisan infrastructure you know, passed. He wants, let's get it done. And maybe we come back to Build Back Better, maybe we don't. Maybe Democrats, all you get is that 1.1, 1.2 trillion in the uh, bipartisan infrastructure framework, and maybe that's all you get. And boy, you know, as much as some of us say both of these bills are too big and more likely, you know, not likely to be spent wisely, uh, one is better than two, and you know, none is better than zero, and none is what they have passed so far. Um, it continues this phenomenon of feeling like Lucy in the football. I can only imagine how Democrats, progressives uh, feel here. But in the end, there are two things that are fascinating. The first is that the dynamic has not changed all year. We are now at Election Day 2021. We have known this was the case all year long, that it's 50-50 Senate, assuming that Bernie Sanders and Patrick Leahy's health uh, hold up for the rest of, for the foreseeable future. And this is, you know, you, if you have 50 Democratic Senate, it means the least liberal, the least fan of big spending Democratic senator basically gets a veto. And it's either Manchin or it's cinema, right? One of those is, you know, 
One, you got to get both of them on board. Republicans are not going to help you pass this. You got to do it through reconciliation. There's limits what you can do. That's the reality. And progressives have been throwing a tantrum about this basic reality all year long. And I think Manchin's getting sick of it. I think a lot of other people are getting sick of it, too. The second thing is, is that when Joe Biden says we have a deal or we're close to a deal, Joe Biden doesn't know what the heck's going on. I know this is not exactly breaking news to a lot of people <laughs> in this podcast and listening to this podcast. But really, in the end, Joe Biden, you know, he basically is, has this narrative of we're very close to getting everybody together. It's going to be great. It's going to be terrific. In fact, he's not really in tune with what that. I mean, it doesn't sound like Manchin was misleading him. Manchin is insisting that he was like, no, no, I, I, everybody's known where I've been. This is really um, the morning jolt headline today is that you have this people in the uh, past administrations, looking back to Barack Obama, looking back to Bill Clinton, and even to a certain extent, George W. Bush, and maybe even with Trump. The president invites you to the White House and you're in the Oval Office with them. And, and you know, the, the majesty and the grandeur of that environment, people don't like saying no to the leader of their party. People don't like saying no to the leader of the country. That that usually can get some people to yes. And that has not occurred with Kirsten Cinema. That has not occurred with Joe Manchin. And so all of that kind of bully pulpit and all the usual leverage that a president has doesn't appear to be the case with Joe Biden. So anyway, for all of us who don't like these spending projects, this is good news. And uh, we will see if, you know, at this point, you know, if Joe Manchin hasn't broken at this point, maybe he's not going to break at all. Yeah, it could be. I'm just still totally perplexed by Pelosi's uh, strategy here, because usually she's got all her ducks in a row. And obviously she's trying to figure out what the Senate's going to do in terms of trying to bridge this. Oh, no, we got to vote for this one first. Oh, this side wants to vote for the other one first. So that makes it a little more complicated. But setting these deadlines is just not making a lot of sense. And, and the idea that you got to, oh, we're going to get the final language in today, and then it's going to the Rules Committee tomorrow, and then we're going to put it on the floor for a final vote the next day. That doesn't show me that you're confident the American people are going to like what's in this bill when you're trying to rush that much money, that much spending on all these new programs, essentially in 48 hours, once if you ever get to a final agreement. And if there isn't, if it doesn't get done by a certain day, what happens? Nothing. We set a new one. <laughs> that's why I know. That's why none of these deadlines really, you know, motivate anybody because you know everybody's like, eh, okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> that's exactly right. So when it comes to uh, you know government debt, that's one thing. When it comes to your student debt, uh, the government, well, it might help you out depending on your situation, but you're staring at those payments right now, and you've got to make the best deal possible to refinance those things. So let's talk student debt. You could potentially save thousands. With refinancing, and there's no better place to do that than with Ernest. Ernest was voted the best student loan refinancing overall by NerdWallet. And Ernest has some of the lowest rates, most flexible payments, and an in-house team that is ready to help you. With Ernest, you could change your interest rate or get a lower monthly payment, and you never have to pay fees, not even late fees. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan terms, save money, or combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real live human being at Earnest for help. So when you pay less interest, you can put that money towards your goals. And with Earnest, it only takes two minutes to see what your new rate could be, and there's no credit impact. And right now, Earnest is also offering three Martini Lunch listeners a $100 cash bonus. Refinance your student debt at earnest.com slash martini, although this is not available in all states. But once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. And they also have these legal reminders. 
Earnest Student Loan Refinancing made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 1204917, California Financing Law, License Number 6054788, 535 Mission Street, San Francisco, California, 94105. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licenses. All right, Jim, let's move on to our bad martini now. And as foreshadowed, it deals with uh, today's uh, gubernatorial election in Virginia. There's also the lieutenant governor and attorney general on the ballot, as well as all 100 seats in the House of Delegates, which the Democrats currently control, 55 to 45. So a Yunkin win plus a plus six in the House of Delegates would be a a major, major win. But uh, Terry McAuliffe's campaign uh, for the Democratic side in this governor's race Jim, I'm not sure the Republicans could have scripted a better last month uh, for uh, Terry McAuliffe uh, over his issues with education, those comments at the debate, just stepping on rake after rake, and even the mainstream media calling him out now. Yesterday, CNN uh, pointing out that McAuliffe just flat out lied by saying that Glenn Youngkin was closing his campaign by doing an event with Donald Trump. Trump called into uh, a campaign event that Yunkin was not even at, but to say that uh, they were doing an event together uh, was certainly not the case. But Yahoo News yesterday, also with a number of uh, just flat-out lies from Terry McAuliffe, first of all referring to Glenn Yunkin as an anti-vaxxer. Yunkin's position is, first of all, that he is vaccinated. He encourages everyone to get vaccinated, but says it should not be mandated by the government. It should be your decision to make. The other one that Terry McAuliffe has been making for weeks now is that 1,142 kids in Virginia are in intensive care unit beds. At no point has that ever been the case. The entire number of kids ever hospitalized, much less ICU, throughout the pandemic, uh, last uh, known number on that is 976, and uh, the total number at any one time uh, has been very, very low. So where he gets that number who knows? But uh, just lie after lie, and that's usually the sign of a campaign that's not real confident heading into the finish line. You know, Greg, I think we may have actually reached the turning point in this race where it has gone from, ooh, I think Glenn Youngkin might have a shot, to, wow, Glenn Youngkin's really got some momentum, to, hey, I think it you know, looks like Glenn Youngkin, but Glenn Youngkin's ahead. Now I think we're at the point where if Glenn Youngkin does not win tonight, it's going to be something of a heartbreaker for Republicans because the polling has looked good. The momentum has looked good. Glenn Youngkin, look, if he wins, people are going to say, this is it. This is how you can be just Trumpy enough to keep the Trump voters happy with you and believe that you're you're their kind of guy, but not so Trumpy that you scare away the moderate, you know, Northern Virginia suburbs that I described. And that's going to play in places like Bucks County, Pennsylvania, uh, certain parts of Ohio, certain parts of Florida, um, the suburbs are where Republicans lost a lot of ground in 2018. They made up some of that ground in 2020. But if Republicans can compete in the suburbs again and run up these massive numbers in the exurbs and rural areas, look out 2022 because Republicans are going to come roaring back, probably win back the House, probably you know win back the Senate, win back a bunch of governorships. You know it's going to be they're going to win by like gangbusters. All of that probably is the case if Glenn Youngkin loses. You know. 50, uh, you know, 50 to 49 or something like that. That you know, that, Look, it's still a good year. Uh, also, keep, let's keep our eyes on the state legislative races. But here's the thing. I also feel like it cannot be overstated that Terry McAuliffe has really been a terrible candidate these last couple of weeks. And maybe he was always a very bad. I, I think this, you know, a little bit of, one of the things we have to kind of wonder about after this is, is Ken Cuccinelli really kind of underwhelming? Although we did have a libertarian challenger back uh, eight years ago. And the independent candidate is a a woman whose brother was shot by cops and who's definitely running more left of center. So maybe 
you've got two candidates splitting the left of center vote, one candidate unifying the right of center vote. Maybe that's the big difference that's going on this year. But I also think like Terry McAuliffe's, I've never liked him. I've always seen like he's this kind of crazy, cheap, cheesy, um, sleazy, you know, Bill Clinton fundraiser who, who, if it was not for the Clintons, would never have, would nobody ever say, oh, Terry McAuliffe, that's a guy who should be governor of a state. Um, it almost sounded like a bad joke, but he had access to a ton of money and a lot of friends in the Democratic Party establishment. And they more or less cleared the way for him eight years ago. And also, actually, because he actually lost his first primary, I believe, to Cree Deeds back in 2009. Correct. If I'm remembering. Yeah. Um, so this is actually his third time he's run for governor. Uh, won the second time. And uh, that he's, he's, you know, he's, he's, I think you can safely say over the last couple of weeks, he's just not good at pressure. And his instinct is to lie. And I think that while you could say, oh, all politicians lie, Democratic politicians are used to the media covering for them. And so Terry, like, if you, if Terry McAuliffe wants to say, I believe we should fire teachers who are not vaccinated. Okay. I, I don't think it's, I don't agree with that, but fine, you can run. I think we should fire cops who are not vaccinated. I think we should fire firefighters who are not vaccinated, foreshadowing our next martini. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with those stances, but if you want to run on that, fine. But, you know, Glenn Youngkin strikes me as a very reasonable one. You should go out. I've done it. He's done a, a commercial encouraging people to get vaccinated. He says, tells people the number. He makes the best case he can, but he doesn't want to fire anybody for not being, for, you know, not wanting to get vaccinated. Strikes me as a very reasonable position. The idea that that's anti-vaxxer then stretches the term anti-vaxxer to be meaningless. And that's where we are. So many of these terms get thrown around today. White supremacy, racist, capitalist greed. Uh, you know, all these things get thrown out. These, these terms get stretched to apply to anything Democrats disagree with. And then it doesn't have it doesn't mean anything anymore. Anti-vaccine. The idea that you're like, mm, I'm not sure vaccine mandates are going to get us where we want to go. I don't want a good nurse, cop, firefighter, et cetera, fired because they don't want like that's not anti-vaxxer. And Carrie McAuliffe refuses to recognize that. So it's this um, his entire arguments are dishonest and bad faith and cheap and sleazy. And Greg, I find that the root cause of this is that Terry McAuliffe is a bad faith, dishonest, cheap and sleazy kind of guy. That's just the kind of <laughs> arguments you're going to get from this guy. I shouldn't expect him to be any different. No, that's exactly right. And if you were getting, you know, hammered pillar to post by suburban parents about education, what would you do on your last full day of campaigning? I'll tell you what I wouldn't do if I was Terry McAuliffe. I wouldn't go out there and say we have way too many white teachers and so we need to balance it out with the complexion of the student population. So that's 50%. We have 80% white teachers, so we need fewer white teachers. And then he uh, brings Randy Weingarten of the American Federation of Teachers, who did more to keep schools closed than anyone on the planet, as his last stump speaker. So, I mean, just perfect. It's very flailing. It's, it's it, you know, like, again, one of the reasons you, you know, after 2020, I think we're all, hopefully we're all a little more wary of what we see in poll numbers. But when the candidate's behavior matches what the poll numbers are showing, it's a good sign that the uh, uh, the internal polls are showing what the external polls are showing as well. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So anyway, we obviously uh, hope for a certain set of results tonight. We'll see if we get them. And given the fact that they're counting the early vote, uh, well, early, uh, maybe we'll actually get some results uh, tonight. I just really hope this doesn't go into the courts. Um, but mm. we'll worry about that if and when we have to. But Well, Mark Elias has got to make a living. <laughs> yes, exactly right. But remember, we're preserving democracy if the Democrats challenge results. We're uh, subverting democracy and destroying the Constitution if Republicans challenge. Just remember the different uh, definitions. 
definitions here. But uh, anyway, let's talk about uh, what you're going to need tonight potentially is a good night's sleep. And if Republicans do well, we'll sleep pretty well, but uh, not as well if we're not using products from my pillow. I love the pillow. I love the slippers. I love the towels. And I also love our Giza Dream Sheets. And right now, for a limited time, you can buy one set and get another set free on Giza Dream Sheets by using our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. The long, staple cotton makes these sheets ultra-soft and breathable. These sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one and get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104. Find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Do not miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, you've mentioned it in the second martini in terms of vaccine mandates. And, you know, Bill de Blasio is going out just as ludicrously as he's, I hate to even use the word, led the city, uh, presided as mayor over the city for nearly eight years now. Uh, He, of course, uh, making every first responder get vaccinated or go on unpaid leave. Well, as a result of that, at least as of uh, October 30th, 26 New York Fire Department uh, firehouse companies were out of service because people did not get their vaccines. I've seen more recent headlines that that number is down to 18 now. But uh, the fascinating part of this is how people are spinning this. The obvious answer is, is because while you sure you are perfectly fine to encourage people to get vaccinated, forcing them to do it or uh, making them lose their job is extremely unseemly. But on the left, you have people like New York City Councilman Mark Levine or Levine. I'm not sure exactly how to say that. But in response to the New York Post story saying that 26 firehouses were out of service due to the vaccine mandate staff shortages now, he says, let's be clear, firehouses are closed not because of the mandate. They are closed because of people who are refusing to protect themselves, their families, their colleagues, and the public by getting a safe and effective vaccine. No, they're closed because you're making them get the vaccine, whether or not it's a good idea. So, uh, Jim, this is all uh, nice political posturing until there's a fire in one of these places where there's not enough people to actually put out the fire. And at that point, if your house is on fire, I'm guessing you'd rather have an unvaccinated fire crew than no fire crew at all. Yeah, I mean, this this is what's stupid. If you call 911 and you say your house is on fire, you're not going to say, but only send vaccinated firefighters. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, those unvaccinated fire. I could be in danger if one of them came here. Also, I'm on fire. You know, that, that seems like the uh, cutting off your nose to spite your face. Look, what out. At least at one point, it was 26 fire companies across the state, the city of New York City. That, that's not a small amount. Um, it's also worth noting you got a similar situation out in Seattle, including Seattle Police Department. I guess 171st responders, uh, both you know police and fire. Um, Tucson Police is facing a very similar issue. And look, I, you know, as I've emphasized in this podcast over and over again, I want you to go get vaccinated. 
I, you know, if you have questions, talk to your doctor and, you know, if you have concerns about your kids, talk to your pediatrician, all that stuff. I, I really would like you to go out and do it. But the idea that, well, my hospital will be better off if I fire this nurse because she's not vaccinated. Oh, by the way, could we, could we start discussing natural immunity? Yes. If you've got COVID-19, your body ha- your, has antibodies on it. You know, you, you basically are, you're protected against it yourself. You're, and, you know, we've also known from studies that both vaccinated and unvaccinated people can spread the virus. It, it, some studies indicate that the vaccinated are doing less, but others are saying, eh, it's not that much of a difference. The idea of this is the difference. You know, I, I, none of this makes sense. Oh, by the way, also cops, firemen, hospital workers, nurses, doctors, these are all the people who are most likely to be exposed to COVID-19 over the course of the pandemic. It was going on two years now. I'd really be surprised if there are that many people in these professions who did not get exposed to COVID-19 at all over the past two years. Uh, early on, the government's attitude was, well, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you can get tested once a week or twice a week. That strikes me as a reasonable compromise, right? If, if, look, there are some people who really, really don't want to get vaccinated. I disagree with these people, but I don't want to toss them out of their jobs, particularly if they're good at their jobs, because I think that basically is cutting off our nose to spite our face. If you've got a really good emergency room nurse who can save somebody's life when it's, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, life and death situation, I don't want them out on the street not helping people. Because this person is really, really, you know, particular about not getting a vaccine. I wish they'd change your mind, but I don't think the emergency room is better off by getting rid of that nurse. There are some medical administrators who disagree with me. And, you know, it's they run the hospitals and I don't. But I, I just I, this feels like somebody getting into a kind of a power trip or some sort of sense of this is my authority. I'm in charge. You're going to do as I say. And, you know, if we have a really good cop, I want really good cops on the streets. I would prefer that they were vaccinated. I'll encourage him to get vaccinated. If they ask me, I'll tell them to get vaccinated. But I'm not, I don't want them fired. I don't want them not chasing down killers and robbers and rapists because they didn't chose not to get vaccinated. Same thing with firemen. All of these things look like power-hungry lawmakers who decided, no, no, I can make you do something. And that's not the criteria of this kind of thing. And the more you dig your heels into this, the more people are going to dig in their heels and say, no, you can't make me. This is fundamental to the American character. I, I said this actually jokingly yesterday, and a lot of people are arguing back and forth. If you really want people to get vaccinated, tell them either it's not going to be available in 2022, Supplies are running out. Go out and get yours. <laughs> or alternately, the liberals don't want you to get vaccinated. That will be the other. Oh, well, I'm going to say, you're telling me I can't? I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out and get three. I'll show you. So you know, maybe try reverse psychology or something. But this process, like at some point, like if, if every firefighter in New York City said, you know what, I'm not getting vaccinated. What, would you not have fire departments? It, it's, you know, so stupid. And I think it's just so obvious that people are just absolutely adamant I have authority here. I am in charge. I can make you do things you don't want to do, which is not the American way. It's not where we're supposed to operate. And oh, by the way, for for you know most of this pandemic, we had only you only had unvaccinated firemen coming to save your life. You only had unvaccinated emergency room workers because nobody had the vaccine yet. We got through it okay. At this point, the the, the distinction is not important enough, it, it not clear enough in terms of spreading the, this uh, in terms of spreading the virus to justify firing people. But apparently, I guess in Terry McAuliffe's size, that makes me an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> I guess so. But yeah, you can't keep your job. And in some places, they won't even allow you to collect unemployment benefits by forcing you out of your job. I mean, they're they're treating you worse than an ex-con if you don't get your vaccine. But uh, That's a good point. Don't check the box, right? You know, you know, 
exactly. So obviously, Virginia, what are you in here for? Refuse to get the vaccine. <laughs> right. So Virginia's the big story tonight. We'll keep an eye on that, and I'm sure in, it'll be one of our martinis tomorrow. It'll either be the good, the bad, or if it's uh, going to court or something, we'll probably make it the crazy. But. Uh, in addition to Virginia, don't forget there's also the governor's race in New Jersey. Uh, Phil Murphy, the Democrat, uh, clearly favored there, but Jack Chatterelli was uh, closing in some of the recent polls. You know, there's also the New York City mayor's race, which, first of all, is good news just because it means de Blasio won't be mayor at the start of next year. Um, I assume Eric Adams is the, still the heavy favorite, but it's been kind of fun to watch Curtis Sliwa. Uh, definitely not a, uh, a career politician and a guy who loves the city, but uh, get out there and vote if you live in New York City. Uh, referendum in Minneapolis, Jim. Should we replace the police department? So clearly Minneapolis is in a, in a much better place than it was a year ago. With what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If RoboCop is the option, I'm, I'm cool with that, right? Or, you know, Judge Dredd or something like that. But, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. Time Cops, you know, the, the Department of Pre-Crime, you know. Give me some options here. Then maybe then we'll talk. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, if that doesn't lose 80 to 20, uh, get out. Just get out of Minneapolis. All right, so plenty to look forward to tonight. And, Jim, we'll talk about it tomorrow. See you then. Can't wait, Greg. See you tomorrow. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell your friends about us as well. We are very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Remember to get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. If you live in a place that's voting, get out and vote. And we'll see you tomorrow on the Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.